0: Boy, life gets a little crazy sometimes, doesn't it? (laughs) You know, it's hard to practice patience when we're down to the wire and we're pressed for time, we're under the gun. You know, patience just doesn't come to us naturally. You know, from the time that we're born, we're not very patient, are we? You know, when a little baby is in her crib and she's hungry or she's got a dirty diaper, you know, she doesn't sit there quietly and think to herself, "Oh." Mommy and Daddy are really tired. And so I was going to sit here all night until they wake up in the morning and then I'll tell them that I'm hungry. No, no, no. (laughs) That baby doesn't do that. She starts to cry. Her face gets all red. She squinches up her fist. She starts to wail. Until she gets exactly what she wants. Babies are not patient and they require a lot of patience as well. And as children grow up, their patience level doesn't necessarily keep track with their growth. We know that, right? If you've ever been on a road trip with a small child, you know this phrase very well. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It takes a lot of self-control not to just go reach for the duct tape right there. (laughs) You know, patience and delayed gratification are skills that are really difficult. They rub against our nature as human beings. Matter of fact, there was a study, maybe you've heard of it, it was a few years back. Stanford University took small children and they put them in a room one at a time and they placed in front of them a small plate with a single marshmallow with the instructions. Kids, you can have the marshmallow, but if you're willing to wait for a little while, we'll come back and reward you with a second marshmallow. Let's take a look at a reenactment of that study. Great. It is so hard to wait, you know, and we look at little children, we think, okay, those are little kids. They just don't have very much patience. Well, as adults, believe it or not, we have our own marshmallow test. You know what it is? Why? It's called the credit card, right? (laughs) You think about it. There are things that we want and we don't want to necessarily wait to have to raise enough money and save up for something. And so we just pull out the credit card and cha-ching, you know, buy now and pay later but we really do have to pay, don't we? In the end, we have to pay. Our culture that we live in isn't very patient either. You know, we're bombarded with all of these messages of overnight success and instant wealth and immediate results. We live in a world of microwave ovens and 10-minute oil changes and instant breakfast. We have Uh, high-speed internet, and we have these little gadgets, these cell phones that give us access to everything immediately, right away. And all of these gadgets were designed to give us more time, right? But my question is, where did all that extra time go? I don't have it, do you? (laughs) I don't know where it went. There's this attraction at Disney World. Um, it's, It's called the Carousel of Progress. And it's really interesting. You go in there, and you sit down in your seat, and you watch. You go back in time, and there's the animatronic, you know, uh, people in there, and there's the lady, and she's at the washboard, you know, taking all day to wash clothes, and then she's got her big pot, and she's stirring dinner for the family, and the kids are huddled around the radio, listening together, mom's sewing her daughter's prom dress together, you know, and then you go, and it shows, you go to the next little room, and then it speeds up, and you see, oh, now we've got ovens, and it speeds up the whole process, we've got these new electronics that help us all the time, and I'm sitting there in my seat, and I'm thinking to myself at my own home, and I'm thinking about my kids on the Internet chatting on, their, um, on the computer and the texting and the iPod and the ears and all the other things that's going on. And I'm thinking, can someone just take this carousel of project, progress and stick it in reverse and take me back to Mayberry, please? Could someone do that for me? We live in a hurried culture it's like a rat race, and the rats just keep getting faster and faster all the time, and there's a high price to pay for all of our hurry, all of our impatience. America is the most stressed out country in the world. Physicians and psychologists are telling us that, th- that stress is the number one disease that we need to be afraid of in our country. It's the most concern that we ought to have. Our impatience is costing us relationally. It's costing us emotionally. It's costing us physically. And unbeknownst to most of us, there is a huge price for us to pay spiritually as well. So when it comes to impatience, we have our own human nature fighting against us. We've got our culture against us. We've got ourselves in this battle to try to be patient. It seems overwhelming, and it seems almost desperate in some ways. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit is, con- is committed to producing patience in us. We see this in Galatians 5.22. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, and what? Patience, that's right. It says that the Holy Spirit is committed to producing the fruit of patience in our lives. So we're gonna take a look at a passage in the book of James that talks about how the Holy Spirit does this. It's in James chapter 5, and it's verses 7 through 11. If you have the Lobby Bible, you'll find this on page 932. So let's take a look at that together. James 5, 7 through 11. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring, they eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. So if you take out your message notes, you'll notice that the first point is that the Holy Spirit produces patience in our lives through circumstances that are uncontrollable. Circumstances that are uncontrollable. Now, you think it would be the opposite, don't you? I mean, if if we're going to be patient, you think that God would, would round up our life together and give us, you know, tranquility and peace, safety. You know, the things that we pray for to be safe. But the thing about safety when we pray for still waters like that is that still waters, they tend to stagnate. And it's the same thing with an untested spiritual life. And God wants us to be sometimes in a point where we are dependent upon Him. The time when we need patience is when life is uncontrollable. The time when we need God is when we cling to God is in times when we're in over our head. James 5, 7 through 8, says this. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. You see, the original audience that James wrote this to, they were under incredible persecution They were poor, they were suffering, they were going through deep trials. And for many of us, when we're in similar situations, we kind of question God and wonder how in the world could he allow this to even happen? You know, somehow we slip into the mentality at times where we think that when we accept Christ, we kind of get a free pass when it comes to hardship. But Jesus was very clear in the Gospels and told us many times that we can expect trials and tribulation. And as we've seen in this series, in the growth series, there are oftentimes where God, you you see it recur over and over when we talk about trials, that God uses those to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life. God can use trials in our life to strengthen our faith, to draw us to himself, to wean us from the love of worldly things, to teach us to value his blessings, to strengthen us for his work, to comfort others when they're hurting. And in this case, James addresses this one, to call us to our eternal hope. In the passage, James refers to the great hope of every Christian. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I know, recently, um, Pastor Harold Camping predicted an actual date. and, And it was interesting how much attention that got. And everybody was waiting to see what would happen. And that date came and passed And there was a lot of ridicule from that, and it's really a shame. But on the other hand, if you think about it, on the other end of the spectrum of those who live and ignore the second coming of Christ and live as if it will never happen, there are over 500 times that the Bible addresses the great hope of the Christian, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in all of those encouraging verses, they tell us, one, to be eager to share the good news of Christ with others, and two, to order our lives and to live in a holy way so that we are prepared for the day when Christ comes and enters into his eternal reign. James speaks to us that the the reality of when tiles get harder and difficult and the longer they last, the more we look forward to the return of Christ and his presence with us. And so when life is uncertain and out of control, the Holy Spirit stands ready to challenge us to a greater spiritual reality, to help us think of eternity. And so what is our response? Our response then is this, to surrender to the Spirit and to wait in hope, to wait in hope. James gave the example of a farmer who plants his seeds. He goes out and he plants the seeds in the soil. He tills the soil. He does his work. And then he has no control over that afterwards what happens. He relies on the sovereign rains to come down to nourish the seed and to produce the crop. All he can do is to wait and hope. And you see, our Christian hope is so much more than just wishful thinking. Our biblical hope is standing firm in faith, with expectation of greater things to come. It is a hope guaranteed to us by the promises of God. The Apostle Peter also spoke to encourage suffering Christians this way, and he said in 1 Peter 1, through 6-7, Be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire... Tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Do you see how faith and patience walk hand in hand here? It's because patience is the expression of faith. And when we're full of faith, we're patient. The word patient in many translations is translated long-suffering. Do you know what long-suffering means? <laughs> sort of self-explanatory, isn't it? Long-suffering. Patience is the ability to bear up under difficulty without giving up or giving in to bitterness. I love this definition of patience that I found as I was studying for this message. It says this, that patience is calm endurance based on the certain knowledge that God is in control, that God is in control. You see, when we face huge trials, circumstances that push us to our very limit, that overwhelm us, our faith grows, our hope increases, and our boundaries expand. We become bigger people. You know, we're not as likely to blow our top when we're standing in line at the grocery store. We might even be able to go to the DMV and and smile, maybe. (laughs) Instead of being full of attitude, we're filled with gratitude. God uses trials and uncontrollable circumstances to produce the character of patience in our lives. And when we surrender in the Spirit, wait in hope, patience grows in us. Another way that the Holy Spirit produces patience in our lives is through people who are uncooperative. (laughs) Through people who are uncooperative. You know, dealing with people can be really difficult, right? That's because we're all a little weird. (laughs) You don't know this, but the person next to you is pointing right there. (laughs) We all have hang-ups. We're different. We have our issues. We have our brokenness that we deal with. We struggle with sin, selfishness, and pride. And we can choose to look at those differences and get irritated or we can choose instead to look through God's eyes of love and extend patience and grace. So do irritations bring out the best in you or do they bring out the beast in you? <laughs> How do you do as your heart when you're standing in line at the grocery store and that lady in front of you has 50 coupons? That's a tough <laughs> one. Or someone cuts you off in traffic. Where is your heart then? Or I think parents, one of the biggest tests of patience is getting kids ready for church, right? (laughs) There may be people that you're avoiding or people who irritate or frustrate you. But James tells us in James five, nine and 10, don't grumble about each other. Brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged for look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. James encourages us not to grumble, but to be patient with each other. Because when we're impatient, we are unloving. You know how I know that? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? Verse 4 says, love is patient. That's right. Love is patient. And we get impatient when we put ourselves before others. James gives us the example of the prophets, the prophets who constantly dealt with difficult people and uncooperative circumstances. For instance, uh, like Moses. Moses was leading the people of Israel out to the promised land, and all they did was gripe and complain. There's no water, there's no food. Then you've got Elijah, who faced hostility from King Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel. You've got Jeremiah's opposition. His opposition was so intense that Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. There's Hosea who endured a heartbreaking marriage, Amos who faced lies and scorn and ridicule. And then there's John the Baptist who we know was imprisoned and beheaded because of his proclaiming God's truth. When we face uncooperative and difficult people, our tendency, you know, is to lash out, to get revenge, to defend ourselves or maybe run away. But the prophets handled it differently. And the Holy Spirit wants us to respond as they did. And so what is our response? Our response is to surrender to the Spirit and to wait in love. To wait in love. Because to love is to be patient. And we learn to be patient by loving. We all have this tendency um, to kind of develop what Pastor John Orberg calls hurry sickness. (laughs) Hurry sickness is when we're always in a hurry, we're rushing from place to place, going from project to project, doing our agenda, our schedule, our task, and it becomes more important than the people around us. Hurry sickness is a relational killer. You know, a lot of times we think that hurry is a scheduling problem, but it isn't so much a, a sign of a disordered schedule as it's a sign of a disordered heart. We can be busy without being hurried. Jesus had a lot to do. He was busy, but he never allowed his schedule or his agenda to interfere with his life-giving connection with his Father. He never treated anyone as if they were an interruption in his life. When the little children came running, the disciples were quick to try to push them away, but Jesus invited them into his lap to be with them. His time was dictated by his love, and love takes time. And time is what hurried people don't have. Ephesians 4.2 says this, Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. See, love hits the pause button, so we can focus on the needs of the other person. And when we wait in love, we begin to see life from the other person's point of view. And then we're less likely to step on other people's toes, right? Because we're walking in their shoes. We need the Spirit of Christ to lead us toward His attitude toward people. You know, when, when Jesus was on the cross, He endured ridicule and beatings and anger and vengeance and rage. And yet He was able to look past all of that and to forgive people suffer from hurt and from pain and from disappointment from brokenness from insecurity and when people are uncooperative and difficult with us we need to surrender to the spirit in those times and wait for God's love to fill us so that we can respond with compassion and with patience I work with a lot of troubled kids (laughs) Kids who have very short attention spans, they have got anger issues, they're impulsive, they're disrespectful and rude. They're teenagers, right? (laughs) But some of these kids, there's a little bit more to it than that. They require a little more patience, and usually there's a story behind it. A few years back, I worked with a young man named Robert. Robert was an angry young man. He had no respect for adults. He was mean, He's very difficult, and it was very hard to be patient with him. But As I t- spent more time with Robert, I started to learn more about his story and that Robert's father was in San Quentin prison because he had actually shot Robert's grandmother in front of Robert and his family and that Robert's mother was struggling with AIDS. And it caused me to pause and to realize that one of the reasons that Robert had no respect for me is there were no respectable adults in his life. And one of the reasons he was so angry is because he had never really truly been loved. And as I spent the time and asked God, I said, God, will you please help me to be patient with Robert, to love him? Will you love him through me? Our relationship began to change, and I eventually was able to lead Robert to Christ and help him discover a completely new life. When we wait in patience, then God's love can flow through us. Another way that the Holy Spirit produces patience in our lives is through unexplainable problems. (laughs) You're waiting for the good news, right? (laughs) But the Holy Spirit does produce patience in our lives through unexplainable problems. James 5.11 says, We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance, You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Have you ever heard of the phrase, he has the patience of Job? I've heard of that, right? You know how Job got his patience? (laughs) Through unexplainable problems. You know, I kind of like that Job's in the Bible because it's a reminder to us that life isn't always fair. And it doesn't always end up exactly the way that we thought it would. Job was a righteous man. He honored God. He was a God-fearing man. He had it all. He had wealth, he had a great family, he had great reputation. And then in one day all of a sudden, boom, it was all gone. His children died, his cattle died, his crops were destroyed, his reputation was ruined. He lost it all. And his wife said to him, "Why don't you just curse God and die?" Well, we talk about a support group. <laughs> Job couldn't figure out what he did wrong. He couldn't figure out what happened. And all he could do was wait. And God was silent. At some point in your life, you may face a time when the bottom falls out and there's no explanation for it. I've been there, and I know that some of you are facing that type of a situation right now a job loss, perhaps, an unexpected illness. A prolonged time of loneliness, an accident, a wayward child, and you wait, and you wait, and you wonder. And one of the great temptations in these times of unexplained difficulty is to become desperate, to begin to compromise and take things into our own hands. And I'm sure that was tempting for Job. You know, he had it all, and all of a sudden it disappeared, and it seemed like God was nowhere. His wife turned on him. His friends turned on him. The town turned on him. Satan was nipping at his heels. Job had every right at that point in time to just take up his sandal straps and walk away. But through all of it, Job did not waver and he chose to obey. And that's the response the Holy Spirit wants to lead us to is to surrender to the Spirit and to wait in obedience. Job 1 and 20, 20, through 22 says this. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Patience means refusing to dishonor God by compromising, by taking shortcuts, by turning away from God's word and going on our way. Patience is waiting in obedience. Job endured pain and suffering and torment, but he stood obediently. And eventually God rewarded him. It says that God was full of tenderness and mercy, and he restored Job and used him in a mighty way. And if you were to survey through the Bible and walk through and look at every significant character that God used in a significant way, you'll see that they all went through times of unexplained difficulty, like Noah, when Noah was given the charge to build an ark and he hammered away and built and built under ridicule for years and years and years before the first raindrop ever fell. And Abraham, who was promised a son that he longed for for so long, and he didn't have that son until he's 100 years old. Joseph was given dreams of ruling, and yet he was sold by his brothers into slavery and had to wait unjustly in prison for years before God's promise ever was fulfilled. Young David was anointed king of Israel, but fled for his life in caves waiting and hoping like a fugitive until God, eventually, his time had come. Moses got the charge to lead God's people to the promised land, but he had to wait and wander for 40 years. And then finally, he actually never got to go in and be in the promised land himself. And we know that Mary was promised by an angel and told that she would have a child, a baby boy who would rule Israel and have an eternal kingdom. And while she waited, she watched her son die on a cross. God does not specialize in microwave Christians. He puts us in the crockpot of life to wait and to let us simmer, to bring out the best in us. He uses time and trials and testing to transform our character because our character is ultimately more important to God than our comfort. God has a distinct and wonderful and beautiful purpose for your life, and his purpose for your life is greater than the problems in your life. Do not be mistaken. While you are waiting, God is working. He is transforming you into something beautiful. He's fulfilling his promise to make you like him. So in the meantime, I encourage you to wait on the Lord through the pain and through the tears, through the disappointment and the hurt, to wait, to wait in hope, to wait in love, and to wait in obedience. And let the Spirit of God produce the sweet fruit of patience in your life. Dave Baker is going to share a song with us called While I'm Waiting. And my prayer for you is that God would use this to draw your heart to a place where you desire to wait on the Lord. All right, will you pray with me? Let's talk to God. Oh God, um, we pray, God, uh, I need your help. God, when circumstances are out of control and I don't know what to do. I feel so out of control and afraid. God, I pray that you help me to wait in hope. And God, when I'm dealing with difficult situations with people and I feel like I fail over and over and get impatient and become unloving, I pray that you would step in and you would love through me. And God, when circumstances just don't make any sense and they're unexplainable, and we just want to quit. I pray you help us to remember that you are for us, that you love us, that you have a great plan for us, God. I pray that you give us an eternal perspective. We wait on you, Lord, and trust in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.